If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. John chapter 19, beginning at verse 38. This is after the crucifixion of Christ. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Jesus was a uh, now Joseph rather was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about seventy-five pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Continuing in in chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. As he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head, uh, the cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Uh, The title of my message this morning is The Empty Promises of Easter. The Empty Promises of Easter. I recently heard of a story, it was in a Dear Abby column, uh, in response to someone's question. A young man was about to graduate from high school. He was from a wealthy family, and it was a custom in that affluent neighborhood for the parents to give new graduates an automobile. So this young man and his father spent months looking at cars, and the week before graduation, they found the perfect car. On the eve of his graduation, his father handed him a gift-wrapped Bible. The young man was furious. He threw the Bible down, stormed out of the house, and as it turned out, he never saw his father again. It was only the news of his father's death that brought this young man home again, and as he sat one night going through his father's possessions he came across the Bible his father had given him. He brushed away the dust and opened it to find a cashier's check dated for the day of his graduation in the exact amount of the car they had chosen together. As I thought about this story, I couldn't help but wonder how many people in this world have done the same sort of thing to God. They toss aside a wonderful promise because it sounds too good to be true. 
or they didn't like the way it was presented or wrapped, so to speak, to them. And we, we have this saying that if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is, and often that's true. But so many of us have been taken in by empty promises that we're leery of anyone who tells us we can have something for nothing. You know, the world just doesn't work that way. But God never makes promises that are too good to be true. Truth of the matter is the world is full of empty promises, isn't it? How many have had someone make a promise to you and not fulfill it? <laughs> I think pretty much 100%. We become used to it. We almost grow to expect that, don't we? But instead of promises full of emptiness on Easter, on Resurrection Day, the Lord gives us emptiness that is full of promises. There are three promises wrapped up in the Easter message. Each promise is marked by something empty, an empty cross, an empty tomb, and the empty burial clothes. It is this emptiness that assures us that God's promises are real. You can trust in the promises of God this morning. That's the message I want you to take away from this resurrection celebration. So this morning, for the next few minutes, I want to answer the question, what are the quote-unquote empty promises of Easter? What are the empty promises of Easter? First of all, the empty cross promises the forgiveness of sins. The empty cross promises the forgiveness of sins. You know, sometimes we'll, we'll see little statuettes or little depictions of Jesus on the cross. I prefer the ones that show the empty cross. How about you? Because he's no longer on that cross. The cross is empty this morning, amen? And it says here uh, in verse 38 of uh, chapter 19 that uh, Thomas received permission to come and Joseph, rather, received permission to come and take away the body. I want to be perfectly clear this morning. Jesus really did die. Uh, Jesus really offered up his life. And as we shared on Friday night in our Good Friday service, he wasn't somehow, even though he was the God-man, he wasn't somehow supernaturally protected from the pain and the suffering of the cross. Do you believe that this morning? He actually suffered. He actually had a crown of thorns pressed on his brow. He had his back beaten until his skin hung in ribbons. He actually had spikes driven through his wrists and through his feet. He actually died on the cross. Don't believe anyone who tells you anything different. He gave his life for you and me. And... and he did so, so we could be forgiven of our sin. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Did you know that? That God had established that the shedding of blood would be needed to have forgiveness of sins. And in the Old Testament, uh, animals were offered, they were slain as a symbol of the coming death of Christ. But they couldn't take away uh, sins permanently. That's why it had to be done repeatedly. But Jesus died on the cross once and for all. Why did he need to do that? Well, the Bible says we are all born with a sinful nature. We have all sinned and need forgiveness. Did you know that? We inherited a sinful nature from our parents. Do you ever want to do the right thing and somehow you just don't? <laughs> 
Right? We can identify with that. Paul talks about that in Romans 7. We want to live life, but we don't want that because we have this nature within us. We inherited from our parents and our needs. So we have this sinful nature and we can't save ourselves from it. We can't do enough good. We can't offer sacrifices. We can't do anything to forgive ourselves of our sins. If forgiveness only comes through receiving the finished work of Christ on the cross, who died on the cross for our sins, he paid the penalty for our sins. He gave the ultimate sacrifice for you and me when he offered up his life. They have to Right, right. They, they didn't, didn't take his life from him. He, he offered himself as a sacrifice for you and me. I don't know about you, but that, that means the world to me today. That means the world to me. He died in my place. He took the nails that were meant for my hands and feet. He suffered the, the humiliation and the pain and the crushing burden of sin that were mine. He died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And because he did so, if we receive him, if we accept him as Lord and Savior, our sins are washed away. There was a homeless man in Salem, Oregon, named John Reamer. Became known as a six million dollar man. He lived at the Union Gospel Mission. And he received a bill from the IRS demanding that he pay just a little bit under six million dollars. And pass through taxes and penalties. Now, how does a homeless man owe six million dollars to the IRS? I'm glad you asked. They discovered him working on Snap Bar in 1994, and the company's computer mistakenly ballooned his $35 paycheck to over two million dollars in earnings. And since it happened way back then, with interest and penalties. Uh, the amount of loot to nearly six million dollars. And they asked his employer about it. He said, I don't remember, I didn't remember the young man, but he remembered their computer had had problems. And uh, finally, the IRS notified this young man that his balance was zero. You know, a computer error was corrected and his debt was paid. And he breathed a sigh of relief. As you would have done. But you, but you know, know when God, God gives sin, it isn't because, because he discovered an accounting error. We, we really owe a debt. The Bible, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all been declared guilty, but because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, we can now have that debt paid in full. Hallelujah. We can now know that our sins are forgiven, that they've been washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Because the cross is empty. Jesus said on the cross, he said it Friday night, he said on the cross, it is finished. I'm glad Jesus was but the finished the work, the cross is empty, and if we receive him as Lord and Savior, our sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. Not long before she died in 1988, in a moment of surprising candor in a television interview, a woman named Margaret Margarita Lasky, one of the best-known secular humanists and novelists, said this, she said, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. And you know, that is an absolute truth outside of Jesus Christ. We have no one to forgive us. 
But this, but this morning, morning I'm pleased to report the cross is empty. empty. The work of Christ is finished. He has conquered sin. He has paid the price. And if we have received him as our Savior, if we've asked him to come into our lives and to wash us clean by his blood, our sins are forgiven, our debt is paid, and we receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank God for the promise of the empty cross this morning. Hallelujah. What's, What's the, the second, second empty promise of Easter? It's this. It's that the empty tomb promises eternal life. The empty tomb. It says Mary went to the tomb uh, in the early hours of the day. And she saw that the stone had been moved away. And she didn't know who did it. And she came running to Simon Peter and she said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. The stone's been rolled away. The tomb is empty. What's she talking about? Well, she's talking about the fact that the tomb was empty and the Lord Jesus conquered death. You see, all the Roman authorities had to do to disprove this, this so-called theory of resurrection, all they had to do was produce Jesus' dead body. But they couldn't do it. Well, I submit to you today that the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is one of the most well-attested events in all of history, probably the most well-attested event. Jesus Christ appeared to over 500 individuals at one time following his resurrection. I'm going to talk more about his appearances in a few minutes. A man named Dr. Simon Greenleaf was a great authority on legal evidences in the 19th century. And he concluded that any cross-examination of the eyewitness testimonies recorded in Scripture would result in a, quote, an undoubting conviction of their integrity, ability, and truth. You see, the Romans would have had no reason to steal the body. Can we go to that next screen, Charlie? The, the Romans would have had no reason to steal Christ's body. That would have, uh, that, that was the quote-unquote myth that they were trying to disprove. The Jewish religious leaders would also have no motive in stealing the body since that would only stir up this movement they were trying to crush. The Jews were trying to crush this, this Christian movement. And certainly the disciples wouldn't have stolen the body for why would they choose to suffer, and many of them did, many of them gave their lives, why would they choose to do that for a cause they knew to be a lie? It doesn't make any sense. What's the only conclusion that we can come to that Jesus is alive? I want to address one more so-called theory about Jesus. It's a so-called swoon theory. Have anybody ever heard the swoon theory? It says that, uh, this, is, this is remarkable, this is fantasy stuff. It says that Jesus really didn't die. He just kind of swooned, he just kind of became weak and so he was really alive. So all you have to believe to believe the swoon theory is that Jesus endured several trials, the crown of thorns on his head, a Roman scourge, which as I said, 
tore his back apart so that the inner organs were exposed. Many uh, uh, prisoners actually died uh, through the scourging itself. He endured that. He en endured a crucifixion, as we said, with spikes driven into his wrists and to his feet. Uh, he spent three days on the cross without medical attention or food. And then uh, when he came to in the tomb, he pushed a two-ton stone away and then physically overpowered an armed Roman guard while walking on pierced feet. Oh, that sounds believable, doesn't it? Of course it doesn't. It's ridiculous in the extreme, and yet so many people choose to believe it. Why? Because they reject on its face the miracle that Jesus overcame death. Jesus was dead, but he came to life, hallelujah, by the power of the Father. And God rolled that stone away, and Jesus walked out of that tomb alive. His resurrection ensures that all who trust in him for salvation will, like him, live forever. In John 14, verse 19, Jesus said, Because I live, you also will live. And John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Did you know you can live forever? Did you know you can live forever? Yes, there's such a thing as physical death, but we can live forever if we receive Christ because he conquered death forever. A father and son were traveling down a country road one afternoon in the springtime when suddenly a bee flew into the window. How many have ever had a bee fly into your car window? Lots of fun, right? This young man was deathly allergic to bee stings, and so he began to panic as the bee buzzed all around inside the car. And seeing the fear uh, welling up within his son, the father reached out and caught the bee in his hand. Soon he opened his hand, and the bee began to buzz around once again, and the boy uh, resumed his panicking. The father reached over to the son and opened up his hand and said, Son, you have nothing to worry about. See, the stinger is in my hand. I've taken the sting. He can't sting you. And the empty tomb is God's way of saying that the Lord Jesus Christ took the sting of death for you and me. Hallelujah. How, oh, grave, where is your victory? It says in 1 Corinthians. Oh, death, where is your sting? Hallelujah. He's taken the sting out of death. He's taken the victory away from death. Hallelujah. He's conquered death. And because he's conquered death, we can live forever. Hallelujah. That's what the empty tomb tells us today. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Benjamin Franklin, who didn't profess to be a born-again Christian, nevertheless wrote his own epitaph. This is what he said. The body of B. Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and, its, and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here, food for worms, but the work shall not be wholly lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. Hallelujah. God is the author of life. God is the one uh, who, through his son Jesus Christ, overcame death, and he promises eternal life for you and me. Hallelujah. Have you received this gift of eternal life? The Bible says when we ask Christ into our life, we become his children, and we receive eternal life. The empty tomb promises eternal life this morning. I'm so thankful for that. What's the third empty promise of Easter? It's this. 
the empty grave clothes promise a relationship with Christ. In verses 6 and 7 of chapter 20, in John's Gospel, it says, speaking of Peter, he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. There was proof here that Jesus really was alive. Uh, Mary goes to Peter and John and tells them what she found, and Peter runs right in. And it didn't take them long to discover that the tomb was empty, just as they were told, but that's not all. Inside, Peter found the clothes that Jesus had been buried in. They were empty, which could only mean one thing, Jesus was alive. They were neatly folded. Can you imagine grave robbers coming to steal Jesus' body, taking the time to take his body out of the grave clothes, and oh, before they go to leave, oh, let's fold those clothes up nice and neatly. No, only one thing could have happened. Jesus was alive. And I love what it says in Mark's account of the resurrection. In Mark chapter 16, verse 7, when Jesus, the risen Christ, finally appears to uh, the women who had gone to the tomb, uh, he says to them, go and tell his disciples and Peter to go and tell the disciples and Peter that I'm alive. Now, Peter was one of the disciples. Why did he single out Peter? Well, you remember what Peter did? <laughs> he denied that he even knew the Lord. He cursed and said, I don't even know the man. And he went out and wept bitterly. But the risen Christ said, go tell Peter I'm alive. Tell Peter it's okay. Tell Peter that we still have a relationship. And that's what the empty grave clothes tell us, that we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you, can, can you just, can we comprehend that this morning? The Word of God says that, that, that God the Son, Jesus Christ, spoke the universe into existence. And yet it tells us that we can have a personal relationship with Jesus. How many here know what I'm talking about? How many have, uh, have found a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Slip your hand up this morning. Hallelujah. You know Jesus, and Jesus knows you this morning. Let me tell you, uh, there, there are all different kinds of relationships on the earth. Some are very precious to us. Some are kind of, you know, well, acquaintances. And some, uh, let's face it, some people we have relationships with we could do without, right? Pastor Tim, did you say that out loud? Yes, I did. There's no relationship like a relationship with the Son of God. Hallelujah. As I said, Jesus made many post-resurrection appearances. We, as we said, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to the other women returning from the tomb. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to two disciples going to Emmaus in the evening. He appeared to all the apostles when Thomas was absent and then again when Thomas was there. In Galilee, he appeared to seven by the lake of Tiberias. I already mentioned he appeared to 500 at one time. He appeared uh, to those at Jerusalem and Bethany. And again to James, he appeared on the Mount of Olives. He appeared to Paul, the apostle, on the road to Damascus. He appeared to Stephen outside of Jerusalem. Jesus is alive. The grave clothes are empty. 
and we can have a relationship with him. How many know there's a big, big difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone? Right? We live in the information age, okay? Any one of you, if you wanted to, uh, at any time, could, could take out your smartphone uh, and Google something, look up a name, look up a person. You could find a whole host of details about them. You could learn, you could become an expert, right, on a famous person. But that doesn't mean you know them. I heard a story about a young woman in her uh, class um, they, they had to give, uh, assignment was to give an oral presentation about someone they admired. And uh, a, young, a young girl named Beth Morosky uh, needed to choose an Italian-American whom she admired as a topic of the presentation for her Italian 2 course. Any Italians here today? Okay, a few. Uh, anyway, um, yay Italians, okay. Uh, so to gather information for her, um, her presentation, she contacted producers from uh, Tony Danza's television program seeking photographs and background information. And she didn't know that the producers contacted uh, her, uh, the young girl's professor and arranged for a surprise visit from Tony Danza himself during her presentation. And so she got up to give her presentation and started giving uh, it nervously in Italian because it was an Italian course. And following the presentation, in comes walking Tony Danza, the actor himself. And she was blown away. Anybody would be. And the class was blown away. And what made it even greater was that Tony Danza provided a free trip to Rome for every student in the class. And the producers taped that and, and made a program out of it. Big difference between knowing facts about someone and knowing someone. And let me tell you, you can go online, you can go anywhere and look up facts about Jesus Christ, but it's not the same as knowing him. The creator of the universe wants to have a personal relationship with you today. We know this because his grave clothes are empty. He is alive forever more. In, in conclusion this morning, in Matthew's account of the resurrection, the angel said that Jesus had risen, quote, just as he said. Isn't that awesome? Jesus does just what he says. Jesus keeps his promises. The empty cross promises the forgiveness of sins. If you've not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not asked him to come into your heart to forgive you of all your sin by his precious blood and to make you his child, you can do that today. This can be the greatest Easter celebration you've ever been a part of if you receive Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness of your sins. The empty cross tells us uh, that our sins can be forgiven. Secondly, we said the empty tomb promises eternal life. When we receive Christ, we receive eternal life. You see, when these, these bodies, these human bodies give out, and when we're buried in the ground, that's just our shell. That's just what's our, our, our temporary housing, if you will. Hallelujah. But our, our spirit uh, unites with a glorified body, and at the, when Jesus returns, we go to be with Jesus, and we live with him forever and ever and ever. But we don't have to wait for the resurrection 
to have a relationship with Jesus because the empty grave clothes promise we can have a relationship with him right now through his word and through his Holy Spirit and we can walk with him. And if you haven't received Christ, I can tell you respectfully that, that what the missing element in your life is forgiveness of sins and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's life as we were created to live it. It's life as it was meant to be lived. Life with Jesus Christ. If you're here today or watching online and you've already committed your life to Christ, then rejoice this resurrection day over his promises that have been kept to you. Rejoice in that. You may be here otherwise or watching online and you may have been lied to, other, to, to by others your whole life to the point where you don't believe anyone's promises anymore. But I can tell you without... Uh, any fear of contradiction, you can trust in the promises of God. You can trust in the promises of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That he has, uh, he has uh, purchased forgiveness of sins. He has overcome death. And he wants to have a relationship with us. Don't be like the young man from my opening illustration who rejected the gift from his father because he didn't like the way it was wrapped. He didn't like the way it was presented. Don't reject Jesus. Say, so Pastor Tim, I, I haven't rejected him. I just haven't, I haven't accepted him. I haven't made up my mind. Can I tell you this respectfully? To not accept him is to reject him. There's no in-between. There's no, there's no third option. We either ask Jesus to come into our lives and to forgive us of our sins or we don't. We either live under the specter of eternal separation from God, that's called spiritual death, or eternal uh, relationship, eternally being with God uh, forever and ever, that's called spiritual life. What will you choose today? Separation from God, union with Christ. Eternal death, eternal life. It's up to you. The empty promises of Easter are fulfilled, every one of them, by Jesus Christ.